Welcome to the Tokyo Citadel Builders Podcast. This show is hosted by three Christian Bitcoin maximalists in Tokyo. We agree on very little except that Bitcoin is money and a tool we can use to help us build a better future. We discuss current topics in Japan and Bitcoin and how our lives are impacted by the growing Bitcoinization of the world. We interview builders on Bitcoin to learn about how Bitcoin can help us push back against government encroachment, enable us to retain financial sovereignty, and empower us to secure ourselves against corporate and government surveillance. Sat by sat, we are building a Bitcoin economy in Tokyo and connecting ourselves to citadels throughout the world. This show is hosted by We Three Gentlemen, Doomer Dash, Meta Mike, and me, Andy. We are a value for value podcast, so if you've enjoyed the show, hit us up with a thousand sat boost on Fountain or show us some love on our TokyoCitadel.com website. Connect with us on Twitter and Noster at Tokyo Citadel. And we are live.、Um, so today I'm here with、uh, Rev Hoddle, who is a pioneer in homesteading and applying permaculture to that discipline,、um, and also a、uh, pr- fairly prominent、uh, in, in the Bitcoin community.、Um, so, really looking forward to、uh, having a discussion on several Bitcoin related, but also obviously homesteading and, and permaculture uh, topics uh, with Rev today.、Um, Rev, Thanks for joining us today. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah.、Um, and、um, I thought we could probably kick off the show with, if you, if you don't mind,、um, Rev, just, just give us、um, as much as you're comfortable to share in terms of your, I guess, your background, like a simple in- introduction to the listeners who may not have、um, come across your work before. Well, as, as far as homesteading goes, I've been doing that for about eight years.、Um, how I got onto homesteading is a, is a longer story, but for the past eight years, I've、uh, had about a 20 acre homestead,、um, which I started off cash flowing with Airbnb while I was building up the infrastructure on the ground as far as planting trees, getting livestock,、um, building. The equipment or acquiring the equipment and building the stuff that I needed in order to start producing a lot more of my own food, which then lead, led into having some extra to sell.、Um, and so I've been practicing permaculture. I got my permaculture design certificate in 2016. And that, I say a lot of times that's sort of what gave me permission to actually put my shovel in the ground and start. Um, applying some of the stuff that some of the per- permaculture concepts, principles, and ethics、uh, that I had been studying for several years before that.、Um, and I, I got into Bitcoin. I found Bitcoin in 2020. And I, that, that was sort of,、uh, I think a lot of people have the same,、um, like the, the, the class of Bitcoiners was minted with that、uh, March 2020 crash.、Uh, It sort of triggered a lot of people to start looking into what's going on with the markets, what's going on with the money.、Um, that was the case for me too. So in 2020, I discovered Bitcoin and, and that was sort of like a missing piece.、Um, I had been doing homesteading and, and practicing permaculture because I thought that I needed to insulate myself from the trajectory that I saw the world heading in.、Um, I didn't think that things were going in a good direction. And so I thought I needed to be.、Um, I guess in, in a bubble or you know, just have some insulation to whatever might happen. And after discovering Bitcoin, I was like, oh my God, the, the solution to these problems doesn't have to be a catastrophe.、Uh, 
um, we can move into a better world just by opting out of the one that exists going to Bitcoin. So that's sort of my background. That, thank you. Um, so March 2020 to first get into Bitcoin, I guess jump down the rabbit hole. Had you been familiar with Bitcoin before that, or was that even your first time to sort of even even discover the the you know the concept of Bitcoin, or you know the first time to see it? Well, I think it's a common um, common story to have multiple touch points before you actually get involved or start participating in Bitcoin, and that was the case for me. I um, the first time I ever really heard about it that I can remember was a friend of mine was getting into this, he called it cloud mining and he was mining Bitcoin. I think at the time cloud mining was a big scam. Um, but I was that kind of, I was thinking to myself, man, what are you doing? It sounds sketchy. And it turned out that it was sketchy and he didn't end up getting any of the Bitcoin or any of his money back. And then the second time I heard about Bitcoin was, uh, I think it was the, I don't remember. It was the winter time, like in December, November, December, maybe January. I had my friends coming over um, and they were like, oh, my God, this Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum. I got Coinbase. Uh, I make like my money's doubling like every every day, man. You got to get into this. And at that time, I didn't have two nickels to rub together. So I was sitting on the sidelines, very jealous of of my friends who were making their gains hands hand over fist in these in these fiat terms. Um, and so that was sort of what prompted me to look into Bitcoin. I was medita- meditating one day and, well, I was meditating on that around that time of the, the crash. I think that March 2020 crash had just happened. I was meditating and I sort of sat up from my meditation and just had this impulse, check the price of Bitcoin. Now, I hadn't thought of Bitcoin or uh, you know, there, it just sort of popped into my mind. I, like I said, I had been exposed to it. It wasn't totally random, but I looked at the price of Bitcoin and it was, um, as low as it had been in over a year. And so I, that's when I sort of took the initiative to start figuring out what this stuff, what, what Bitcoin was, how do I get some, so on and so forth. That's what, that's what really launched me down the rabbit hole was just like impulse after meditating. That, that's the first time I've heard. Um, you almost had a Saint Augustine like experience. I don't know if you've you've heard of that story where he heard a voice. Uh, I think it was a child's voice singing "Tolle lege" in, in Latin, which is "Take take up and read." And then he uh, and then he and then he took up the Bible and um, opened it at a certain page, and and the words that he read were were enough to um, inspire him to convert. Um, so, but you but you had a sort of similar thing where you were just out of the blue. You were sort of to- not. Maybe you didn't hear hear a voice, but you you had this impulse out of nowhere to to check the price of Bitcoin. That's that's quite interesting. First time I heard that. Yeah, I didn't think much of it at the time, but looking back on it, it was it was like it was very unusual. I, I meditate every day after lunch for like twenty minutes, and typically I don't have that kind of stuff. Doesn't happen where I get up from my meditation and I have this impulse to act on something, and uh, that was the case. And Honestly, I just, it's changed. My life has completely changed um, from like, it's, it's like two different worlds, the world before Bitcoin and the world after Bitcoin for me, totally mm-hmm. like I, I'm living a different life completely now. And that's what it's been three years. 
I can relate to that. I can relate to that. Well, I, I wanted to get into that with you. That was going to be one of my questions, and it wasn't necessarily related to, to well, it is related to Bitcoin, but it was more what I'd heard you say on an, another show you had kindly shared with me, and I was able to research before doing this um, uh, this interview today. But you had mentioned that uh, when it, I, you know, when it came to the, the homesteading concept or the sort of permaculture concept, you had started off quite small um i think you'd been growing some some flowers on a window still still or something like that i can't remember the specifics but what what struck me was your journey it seemed it started with this little you know kind of interest and then that gradually snowballed into an obsession and i think a lot of bitcoiners can kind of relate to that i mean i i know i can that's generally how things work for me not only with bitcoin but there's there's many things in my life that are like that um um, but you and it, and it, and it's, it sounds like you you have this character where you know once an idea is in in your mind you just you just need to keep engaging with it keep learning about it um, and you know you know I guess to use the cliche you sort of go down the rabbit hole um, but but would you say is is that an accurate uh, characterization of yourself would you say you have quite an obsessive personality in that way and would you would you agree that that's shared by quite a lot of Bitcoiners. Yeah, I, I guess obsessive sometimes has a, a negative connotation, but um, you, I, I like to think that I'm just passionate. Um, when I get interested in something, like you said, I typically tiptoe into it, just a, dabble here and there. And, and I do that with a lot of things at the same time. And for whatever reason, something might captivate me. And I tend to not stop until I reach a culmination point. And, and that's been the case with any jobs that I've worked. Hmm. Um, if, if I found that I reached the point of there's nothing left for me to learn here, there's nowhere else for me to go. That's when I kind of would say, Hey, it's been great. Thanks for all the, uh, you know, the education and the good times, but I'm moving on to something else. And so I guess the thing with Bitcoin and with permaculture and with homesteading is that there is no end to that. Hmm. And that's why I find it so, uh, intriguing because i can just continue to let that passion flow uh and so that's what i've i've not stuck with anything else uh this long as far as the the homesteading job job kind of thing um and i've been studying permaculture i guess it's been over 10 years now um and so yeah i definitely i think you did nail it though that i do have this personality that uh i don't just stop at that's enough i have to kind of look under each every nook and cranny and find what try and find some sort of discovery in there mm. try and find something yeah I, i've been like that since i was a child and there's something i'll just get under my skin and it's all i can think about and like and like you said it's not necessarily one thing sometimes i'll have like even like now i have several things that i'm doing and, and each week just flies by because there's not a second of the day that I'm not engaged in 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 an you know one of those several activities, and then you know what I what I found is in recently in the in the last well let's say ten years or so certainly in the YouTube era, I mean there's just no end of educational materials out there. Um, a lot you know there's a lot of negative things we can say about YouTube and, and and the internet and things like that in terms of captivating people's attention in a negative way. But for me, I tend to find I'm pretty good at directing things in a kind of positive way. So. 
you know, I'm, I, I, I at least consider myself to be learning and, and improving myself by watching hours and hours of YouTube on different topics. Right. So like recently I've, I've got quite obsessed in, 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 into, into the game of chess in the last year or so. And I'm just, you know, constantly on, um, learning, like watching learning videos, doing drills, doing puzzles, um, online. And it's, and it's like all these, these tools we have available now, and just unthinkable. I mean, you, you could go back, you know, 20, 30 years, for example, and someone trying, trying to learn a game like chess would, would um, they just, like, even if you were, um, I don't know, like you were, you were the official child prodigy of Russia and, and they just throw all the resources in the world at you um, 30 years ago, they, you still wouldn't have this, the, the same level of resources, educational resources and ability to, to, to learn and um, as, as just the average pleb does today. And, and of course, that's that's not just true of chess. That's true of pretty much anything, right? So I've, I found that true of Bitcoin. Um, it sounds like you have also found had that same experience with um, permaculture and homesteading. Um, and, and I heard you mention on, on a podcast that YouTube was sort of a big part of that, just watching other people and their experiences and, and learning through that. But to, to, to what extent would you say that, you know, you, you just, just even watching YouTube videos has been a huge, it has had a huge impact in, on your life and enabled you to bootstrap this in a, in a way that wouldn't have been possible um, half a decade or a decade ago? I, yeah, I, I think YouTube, I went from, so I went to film school. And so at film school, it was all about how to make things it was a very in industry mindset film school. So the idea of somebody taking this shitty camera and shitty microphone and recording something was, uh, to me, it was like, oh, that's, that's an encroachment on my career. And I, I saw YouTube as like, I, I looked down upon it. Um, and that was in like two, from like 2006 to uh, 2010 that I was in school. And so after that, though, I think like there was a golden age of YouTube from maybe like 2012 to 2016 or so. It was like once they once everybody figured out that the monetization was based on on like playing nice with their algorithm, like everything kind of went south as far as I, I'm concerned. But there was this time when you could search something on YouTube and find these, like you could put in this weird, these weird search terms and find videos that had like seven views that it was like, you, you felt like you, you discovered some, some hidden gem there that there was just like this magic information out. And now when I try and I enter in search terms and I'm looking for those secret videos, it's a lot harder to dig for it. You just kind of get regurgitated the same uh, videos over and over again. Maybe I'm just, maybe I've just not been able to figure out how to adapt my searching on YouTube to find this stuff, but whatever I was doing before isn't working now. Um, and so, yeah, YouTube isn't as great of a resource as it once was, but there was that window of time, like I said, that you could pretty much find was like the, the knowledge of the world was there and, and like mm -hmm. really weird secret stuff, uh, as far like, Cause I got, I went down these rabbit holes of like the free energy rabbit hole, the, the aliens rabbit hole, right. <laughs> like the, or is the premier where, where the pyramids built by the aliens, um, the, the, the supplement supplemental health rabbit hole. Like I, I yep. drink, I, I have like several water structuring, water vortexing, um, filters you could say in my house. Um, and I do believe that that stuff works and I 
I've got into that through that time in YouTube and things like taking iodine, all stuff like weird supplemental things. Anyways, go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, I, sorry on that. So I, I hadn't heard that before. Could you expand on that a little bit? The, the water vortexing thing. Maybe this is another rabbit hole. I need to jump down. <laughs> so definitely there you could, I haven't really spent a lot of time looking to see if people have made new discoveries um, about this, this concept of water, but there's this idea. And now I can't even remember the guy's name. Uh, he was a, actually a Japanese guy though. Um, who he did these experiments where he would photograph water after he froze it and he would subject the water to like different energetic influences, like playing music, playing classical music to one glass of water and playing heavy metal, like negative music or so it's quote unquote negative music, right. To another glass of water. And, uh, the free, when he froze it, the, the water would reveal these different, uh, ice crystal patterns. And so that was the first thing I discovered was like, okay, so your water can have, can like have an influence based on what it's, what energy it's receiving. And then there was another guy that I found, I think I can't, it's been so long. I can't even remember any of these people's names. I'm sorry, but basically the idea is that he discovered that if you vortex the water, uh, if you, if you put it in some sort of vortex, uh, a system that would vortex it, that it basically resets the water. It, mm-hmm. it resets the, the angles in which the hydrogen and the oxygen are bonded together to form that H2O molecule. And so if you, if you reset them to be all the same, then the water is open to whatever energ- energetic mm. frequency you impart on it. So when you pray over your water, you thank your water, you're affecting those hydrogen-oxygen bond angles. And then when you ingest it, you're, you're taking that in. And so the water in my, let's go ahead. Sorry. Well, no. So just to clarify, so so vortex to me, that's just how you have to spin it. You spin it around in a, a, I guess that is that essentially it you you put it in. Right. Okay. And 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 you can accomplish that by literally stirring the water Mm. with a spoon or something. Mm, mm, mm. Um, But if you, there's some, the way that it's basically the way that these, filters i i don't know another term for it but these filters have a bunch of different balls arranged in a f- configuration inside of a tube that when you put the water through it with pressure it it vortexes it in like the most efficient maximal way and so okay. it it allows the water to get the maximum reset of those hydrogen oxygen bonding okay and so the point is is that water has memory and that if mm-hmm. you reset the memory then you can tell the water what you want it to do for you and so my house has several of these, so that way all the water that I'm interacting with is open to my energetic influence, and I'm not receiving some, who knows, my water is well water, so I don't know what happened to it down there, oh. or what, it's, what information it's carrying, so I reset that all before I consume it or use it. Okay. So it sounds like something related to kind of a, a feng, is it feng shui, this, this Chinese idea of um there can be good energy and bad energy kind of thing right so if you're if you're vortexing the uh, water the idea is you're sort of starting with a clean slate um interesting so it sounds like though that would be you'd be able to replicate that from what you were saying a little bit earlier about how the guy had run experiments and frozen the water and seen different uh, patterns depending on the music he was playing have you tried to do any of those experiments to replicate this or so the best the easiest um obvious 
way to prove that the water has been reset is that its surface tension is lowered. And so the, the set, the, if you're, if you have like perfectly vortexed water, you should have about a 30% lower surface tension. And so I don't know if you've ever done an experiment where you, where you uh, take a water dropper and you drop it on like uh, a coin and you can get so many drops of water on that coin and it'll form a bubble. And then you add one drop and it all spills over. Hmm. Are you familiar with that? Um, so wait, 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 no, I haven't done it, but as, as your, as you described it there, I can, I can kind of imagine how that would work. Yeah. I can follow. You're along. testing. You're basically counting how many drops can I stack up on right. this, on this space before that droplet of water, that bubble of water turns into a pool of water or whatever it brings. Mm. And so with vortex water, you should, that, that breaking point happens sooner than with some water that has a heavier, uh, informational load in it. Okay. And so that's the way I've tested it to see if, if it's true. And I've done that experiment multiple times. I should do it again just to, mm. uh, maybe I should like, uh, record it and put it on Noster, right? But, you um, should, you definitely should. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> got to sign it with your, with your private key. So we know it isn't uh, a deep fake. Um, but I, 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 one thing that you was, as you were saying about the vortex in the water, and one thing that came to mind for me was that in the northern and southern hemispheres, I believe, and I don't know if this is fake news, I've never verified this, I should have, I should have tried it because I've, I've been to Australia and I never tried it, but I believe the water goes like a different way when you flush it, for example, it, it spins a different way than the northern hemisphere. I don't, don't know if that's true or not, but I wonder, I wonder if that impacts on, I wonder, I wonder if it matters what direction you spin the water is, is, is what came to mind. But Yeah, I don't know. That's, yeah. that's a good, that's another, so my <laughs> belief here, on all this stuff is, and I've thought this way for a long time is that like when I went to, when I was maybe in fifth grade or something, I got the impression in school that science had discovered everything. Mm. We had pretty much everything figured out and there was nothing left to think about. Like mm -hmm. you just, the world was great, you know? And as time went on, I realized we hardly know a damn thing about anything. Yep. And, and I think Bitcoin like really opened up that mind mm -hmm. space for me because mm -hmm. there, you can, everybody's got a, an, a unique lens for which they view the world. They have different experiences that give them aptitudes to see things differently. And so if you're always looking out for a way, something that you see uniquely, there's room to make these discoveries with almost anything. Um, and so yeah, even with these water experiments, all kinds of stuff, there's just so much room for people to like figure something new out and share that. And now we have these tools to connect each other. Uh, like YouTube is one example. Noster is another. And uh, we can use Bitcoin as well to like propagate this information amongst each other. Like I guess what like you were saying with chess, you you can become an expert chess player so much faster now because of the connectivity and the, the ability mm. to share that information. And so we can like share our, dis like propagate new discoveries and iterate on them so much more quickly. Now, this is, I think another reason why this open source software movement is so powerful because it's like, I've, I've created this software that's X amount more efficient or better at doing something. And then somebody is able to immediately get in there and start finding bugs or make suggestions about how to improve it. And by working together, 
uh, I mean, Noster is like an ex excellent example of this. By working together, you create better products that attract more people that you can then monetize for everyone more. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, and exactly. I think um, I think it was Jordan Peterson, and I went down the Jordan Peterson rabbit hole as well a few years back. Um, similar kind of thing, where I was just watching his videos on YouTube obsessively. But one thing he said that did did stick with me is um, he was talking about podcasts, and he said that it was like a Gutenberg revolution. Which, if you're familiar with, was you know it's the invention of the printing press and how that precipitated the, you know, for example, the Reformation. It was a hugely impactful. Um, thing but but one thing that the printing press did was kind of democratize access to information in a way that the world had never seen before um and it, jordan peterson's idea was there's a lot of people there's a lot of people who for example aren't naturally inclined to kind of get their information that way so they don't necessarily benefit from reading the printed word but pretty much everybody can listen and you know one thing for example the success of the joe rogan podcast had proven um, was that there was a lot of hunger out there for long form content and content that went deep and was informative and educational. Um, and so that this was his idea, but behind calling it a Gutenberg revolution. But I feel that, you know, yes, yes, for podcasts, I, I there's certainly been my experience because I, I, when I walk around, whenever I walk somewhere or I'm on the train or it's kind of quote unquote dead time, like I'm in the gym, I'm lift, I'm working out or whatever. I'm always listening to podcasts. So I'm, I'm like absorbing all of this high signal information in, in a way that wouldn't have been possible, you know, five, 10 years ago. And then, and then for people maybe who, you know, would prefer to look at uh, visually, you've got YouTube, right? Um, and, and so it's just to reinforce the, 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 the point really that, you know, we, we have no idea the, the social impact this is going to have in the next five, 10 years. Cause if you, like you say, in YouTube's kind of, um, you know, it's been around since 2012. Well, okay. So you've got kids who were born in 2012, who are coming up to you know um in the next 10 years they're going to, they're going to be adults and 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 potentially and of course it's not going to be all of them because because most of them spent the time watching trash but there's a subset of those kids who who educated themselves probably to a phd level in in one or two or three subjects before they're even 20 years old right and they and they and the, these kids are then going to be coming into this ecosystem like you say like this open source uh, ecosystem for example not nosta um uh, and, and they're going to be contributing and they're going to be like um taking those they're going to be standing on the shoulders of giants right um but they're going to be making their own contributions and they're they're probably i would imagine at my 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 white pill take my optimistic take would be they would be making outsized contributions and really moving things forward in ways we can't even comprehend now um and, and and that's kind of exciting to think about that kind of future. But um, I, I don't know. I'm, am I being too optimistic? I mean, as a Bitcoin, that's a bit, you know, we, 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 we got to keep ourselves honest here. But it seems to me like the future could be bright in that sense. Well, I think it absolutely is. And, and I think what you're describing, too, I mean, this whole concept of standing on the shoulders of giants or, or having a springboard, um, like there's a baseline of known information that a pool of information that you have intimate searchable access to right and you can use that to then build on top of it this is my definition of permaculture and so permaculture is a group of ethics and principles that provide an organizing framework modeled after nature in order to build capital for future generations and so we can talk about the definition of what capital is but information is definitely capital and mm. so when when these people are interacting with this pool of information, I think that in a way, if they're following these ethics and principles is practicing permaculture. 
And mm. permaculture is a way for us to build a permanent culture that is resilient to any catastrophe. To we we never will crumble back down to zero if mm. the world is following this idea or this concept of permaculture. Um, and I well, and I'm I'm shifting gears a little bit here, and I apologize. Well, that's good. But, no, yeah, that's that's good. Uh, yeah, the, 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 my next set of questions were going to be on permaculture, so let's let's dive into it. Um, I, so I, I just, maybe, maybe take a step back and for, so for me, it's been quite hard to get my head around permaculture, even though I've heard you describe it on uh, several podcasts I listened to and, and, and obviously just now, um, could you, could you maybe help, I don't know if it would help to maybe talk about how in the, maybe in the modern world or how, how, for example, things that are not permaculture or sort of anti permaculture maybe maybe that would help me understand better what, what it is, right. If, if we can, if we can define what it isn't. Um, and is so it, like because in my it seems like it's an antidote to some kind of mod, modern ill or modern malaise. Um, but is that am I uh, is that is that correct? And if so, like what 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 is it in our in our modern world? What are we doing wrong that per- permaculture would um, w- would be the medicine to? Okay, so let that that leads into the ethics, right? So there's three ethics: earth care, people care, and the third ethic, which is contentious, and I've got my own opinion on it which um, the third ethic is redistribution of the surplus back to the system. Uh, I like to call that third ethic non-extraction. If you're building a system, you, if you're practicing permaculture, you are not extracting energy from the system. You're building energy into it. And this is where we can start to define where, what permaculture, uh, what isn't permaculture, right? Extractive systems. And fiat is like the number one extractive system in the world right now, right? Uh, fiat pretty much extracts and erodes capital from every form of capital. It's it's reduced the uh, value of living capital. How many people, what was the number one profession 100 years ago? It was a farmer. Now the the average age of the farmer in the United States is over 60 years old. Um, the cultural capital, this is one thing that um, doesn't get discussed enough is how fiat erodes cultural capital. So when fiat uh, systems create their incentives, that is an incentive, like you, you have this access to ultimate convenience in a fiat system. And then from that ultimate convenience, that allows you to sacrifice all of these. So, and let me define cultural capital real quick. Cultural capital is the the collective intellectual capital and experiential capital of a community or a group. And so typically cultural capital is built in regional, small, local situations, right? Where there's a group of people, they're all interacting together. They've been there for generations. And so they've figured out ways to cook the finest food with the food that, with the, with the plants and animals that grow there. Uh, They've developed traditions around, um, when marriage traditions, language, all these things are cultural capital, right? And in Bitcoin, we're developing our own cultural capital, which is like, not your keys, not your coins. That phrase is cultural capital in in the sense that it helps new members of our community, of our culture to get off to a better start. And fiat erodes that via convenience and then um, creating these incentives of short of of low time preference, it it ultimately homogenizes high time preference, right? Or yeah, I'm sorry, high time preference. Thank you. Um, but it it creates a homogenous culture, and we can see this happening throughout the whole world, right? 
everyone wants to model their culture after the, after the United States culture. Um, it, all of a sudden, everything is starting to look very much the same all over the world. And that, I think, is due to fiat. It's eroding the cultural capital. And so <clears throat> what permaculture isn't is an extractive system. And fiat is the number one extractive system. Are there examples in history of a society or a culture that was more in alignment then with the principles of permaculture? That's a good question. I, you know, I haven't really studied enough history to, to say one way or another. Um, but certainly the Native American cultures, mm. uh, right. I hear them. So the number one, like the most, and well, let me start over. Peter Allen is a guy that he's a permaculture dude in Wisconsin in the United States. I, I bought my dog from him. And so he's, he just talks on podcasts quite a bit about how the Oak Savannah, and this is another thing that Mark Shepard also talks about, who's also in Wisconsin. They're like right next to each other. And so the Oak Savannah is like the dom the, the best way to produce food. It's, it's the natural system that produces the most food possible. And the Oak Savannah in the United States didn't just happen magically. It was a, it was a managed system by the Native Americans. And so the Native Americans had figured out a way to integrate themselves into the landscape to such a degree that they created the most efficient system at growing food in a passive way ever observed. As far as, well... And once again, like I said, there might be other historical examples, but to my knowledge, this is the most uh, efficient way of growing food in a passive manner. Mm. Well, and so, yeah, that, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, sorry. Go, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. And so that you could say that they were setting, they were practicing permaculture, right? They were create, they were taking care of the earth. They were taking care of their community, their tribe, and then they were practicing, uh, doing it in a way which did not extract from their system. Their systems kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and better and better over time. Um, to the point where I, I was just talking to my neighbor about this today. He was watching the Ken Burns documentary about, uh, how, uh, about the native Americans and how the, the, the settlers came in or early on in the United States history, they had to wipe out all the Buffalo. There, there was just like millions and millions of Buffalo. And that, once again, was no mistake. The Native Americans were very much responsible for that thriving of those animals. Hmm. Yeah, that, that was the example that kind of came to my mind before, you know, as I was asking you that question. Um, you don't, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of pick through the signal and the noise there in terms of the history of the Native Americans, because it seems that there's a lot of mythologizing that goes on there. And so, you, you know, I'm, you're just not, well, for me, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not quite sure what to believe. Um, but um, but it but it definitely seems like they may have yeah as you say they may have been more um, in alignment with those principles of permaculture. Well, one thing one thing that one th I guess one challenge to that that maybe a proponent of perm permaculture principles as ethics would have to answer is, you know, it seems like the exploitative system of shall we say I guess it was the UK Empire back then right that morphed into the US Empire but the Anglo Empire which which itself I I would argue modeled itself on on the kind of Roman. Um, empire, which was which which was incredibly ex exploitative, right? So it was all about extraction and um, enslavement and ex exploitation and conquest. And it's you know it seemed like from an evolutionary 
standpoint, right? That when those two met, the Native American, which was more in you know in, in harmony with nature, versus the exploitative uh, you know machine of uh, essentially the what the the Roman Empire, which has sort of evolved and into the the UK Empire and then then the, the US Empire, like the 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 exploitative system conquered the uh, harmonious system, right? So. Um, you know, the, I guess so. So, if, you, if you're going to put forward permaculture um, as as a as a system of ethics of ethics, which should be maybe practiced at a societal level, or you know, you, you, you'd maybe have that challenge, right? That well, you know, that's all well and good, but as soon as somebody who's exploitative comes along, they're gonna they're gonna smash. They're gonna sm- They're just gonna come and steal what you built. Um, and so, yeah, how would you, I don't know if you've thought, had, had any thoughts about that, or even if you care about, I mean, maybe for you, this is more about, and it's an individual mission and, and you're, and you're not really thinking about, you know, uh, that this, that, you know, in geo, geopolitical terms, let's say, but, um, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, if you have any counterpoints to, to that or. Ideas. I think that's really a valid, um, a valid point. And so we're working towards this i think well i am as far as bitcoin is concerned and what the future can look like there was incentive for those people to because at the time the world was still unexplored as far as the those um those conquistadors were concerned right they were discovering these new places that they didn't know existed and so there was resources there for them to exploit and I mean, we're doing the same thing right now with the fiat, right? We're we're still extracting and we're we're displacing that extraction onto the poorest people in the third world countries. Yeah, it's it's a it's a roundabout way of doing the same kind of con- conquest, right? Of extracting the world's resources. 100%. Well, yeah. eventually, there's going to be no more extraction that we can do and still have a, a good trade off balance, right? And so. The new thing, something new is going to have to happen. Otherwise, these lot of people are going to die. Right? That that was my my um, position before I discovered Bitcoin. Was like a lot of people are going to have to die for this to actually stop and for things to reset. Something really bad is going to happen. And so now I'm thinking that there can be a transition that takes place, and that goes. So the Native Americans were isolated in the United States or where, I mean, well, tribes and people, there was isolation amongst people. Now we understand, we, the, the globe has been mapped. It's, we know every kind of nook and cranny, so to speak. And so now if this system of extraction fails, it's not like we're going to forget that the rest of the world exists quickly. We'll know that it's there. And so can we use something like Bitcoin and permaculture in tandem this is what I like to say that that uh, in order to have a permanent culture that's resilient, you need to have a permanent money. Oftentimes, the money is what has caused these cultures to collapse and or the civilizations to to crumble back down to zero and restart. And so, with Bitcoin and permaculture in tandem, as these exploitive, extractive systems start to basically starve themselves, can we replace that with something? new and um so i I guess basically the the main reason why those they were successful is because they hadn't reached the end of of what they could extract from they were just getting started 
with their extractive processes, right? Um, it was just, and, and I guess you can kind of see the desert, the, the desert, desertification, uh, like the Sahara Desert wasn't always a desert. And all around uh, that area um, in the southern, southwestern Mediterranean or whatever, that's not the most hospitable place for growing plants anymore. That, that was like extracted for thousands of years. And you can see the result of it. Uh, this uh, permaculture guy, it, well, he's like the permaculture dude, Jeff Lawton. He's gone to Jordan several times in order to like try and green the desert and and get plants growing there again and but at at a, some point in time that was an incredibly fertile and bountiful place to be that's why everyone wanted to be there and so we can see that these they that i guess the disease has been spreading for thousands of years and hopefully we're at the end of it hmm yeah, I mean, yes, yeah, so I guess there's there's different views there. Um, I mean, so there's 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 one view that Bitcoin could be. A, I think you described it as kind of the missing, the missing piece of the jigsaw or something a little earlier in the show. But you know, I guess in the sense that we could opt out of the fiat system, which is definitely a big part of like this, um, you know, exploitation that we see going on, and also you know, as a counterpoint to what you said, which is the optimistic take that we could you know potentially rebalance things and avoid mass you know catastrophe um uh, it seems like our our, our leaders um you know the sociopaths the psychopaths that rule uh, our respective countries uh have in mind a different outcome which is you know they're currently um igniting fires all over the globe right in in the ukraine and uh in israel now and and of course we had the um in in nigeria we had uh, there, there was there was some, some some kinetic warfare as well going on which kind of disappeared from the media but it seems like there's there's a number of fronts of of, of war being opened and um so you know i think i think we're at that crossroads right where you can go you can either go to a sort of global scale war war where many people die and, and, and the financial systems etc reset that way um or there could be a peaceful revolution where people kind of opt out and defund the these exploitative war machines um and take us take us down a, a, a better a better path but yeah i mean I, I guess you know history will show which 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 one of those was was take which 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 way was taken but um i you know um we, we, we're certainly we're living in interesting times, you know, as the, as the Chinese proverb goes. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely a, a lot of what we've just been talking about is in the realm of opinion. As far as what I've got to say, this is definitely not my wheelhouse. Like I, I try not to think too, too big. Like you said, I, I'm focused more on what can I do for me and my family right here where I'm at in my situation with my aptitudes. Mm. How can I apply permaculture to produce the most income, food, and build as much capital as I can for the future generations that I'm involved with. Um, and so if I, if I can do that, and then if I can share that message with as many other people and they can participate in that, hopefully those people will be able to avoid whatever might be on the horizon. Um, mm -hmm. It's the people that, it's unfortunate that the people that aren't able to figure, find Bitcoin, find uh, homesteading permaculture, some sort of ways of having some, some sort of preparedness or self-resilience, self-reliance. Um, the people that are just kind of flying by the seat of their pants are unfortunately 
I think due for uh, quite a turbulent experience yeah. in the next couple decades. So, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, I had a, a couple of other questions on permaculture. I guess I guess challenge, challenging you a little bit, or just just interested to get your. Um, your answers to um on but one of the things you know i so i i so i have thought of it as i have thought of myself i i I live in the city right so i live in tokyo and i'm just this typical urban you know white collar um person who if the you know if there was any kind of disaster and the and the infrastructure were to go down for like a week or two i i i have some level of prep i could probably survive for like a week or two weeks based on what prep i have put in place for myself and my family but beyond that i'd be screwed um and so it, it has definitely been on my mind to um you know my, my kind of dream i guess or what one of these kind of daydreams that i have is that i would move relocate to the country i would have my own you know land where i'd be growing things i'd be more um sell you know um self-sufficient in that in that way which i think is the kind of that you know the homesteading concept and i think a lot of people have that you know day daydream stroke fantasy um on the other hand uh, a couple of things concern me like what well one of the things that concerns me is you know like as, as you get older for example right so um do um it, obviously it's, it must be rather labor intensive um um to i think i think you know what what, what you're doing and you know while, while you're younger relative relatively young i think you, you know you have the strength you have the ability to main, maintain that yourself now do you do you have any concerns as or any thoughts on as you as you get older like how how would you be able to effectively maintain your your lifestyle um yeah is there any 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 thoughts on that well, that, yes, there, that is, that is definitely a common, um, concern, right? It's like, if I, this is hard work I and mean, I'm not going to be able to work hard forever because I have limited physical ability as I get older. Well, in permaculture, your systems should be designed, not necessarily, um, you design over as, as time as an access to, and and you plan for succession or change. So as certain systems mature, they'll reach an apex and they might actually start to decline. But those systems as they decline will be replaced with other systems. And this is what nature does. Uh, the field gets stops being planted with crops, uh, weeds come in, then trees or and shrubs and so on and so forth. There's, there's certain phases that take place from a field transferring from the field to the forest. And so as you're interacting with your systems, you, you would be astute to design to make them more efficient and less work over time, assuming that you're going to have uh, lower ca physical capability. And that's kind of where I'm right now. I'm in the building stage, right? I'm planting. Um, I'm, I'm prep preparing a lot of my soil by moving my animals, by having animals graze over my land. Um, but at a certain point, my trees will have been, have grown in and be mature and be dropping food and they will have shaded out the grass that my sheep are grazing on currently. And so instead of trying to maintain my property to raise those sheep and to continuously move the fences, uh, I might switch from having sheep. To having something like pigs that can take advantage of the food falling from the trees 
And at that point, I might have recognized that, well, now that the trees are grown in, I have more of a, a rigid uh, pattern. There's a, there's a permaculture principle. There's 12 principles in permaculture. One of the principles of, of which is designed from patterns to details. And so through my experience of grazing my sheep and planting my trees, I will have developed certain patterns. And then I can use those patterns in order to guide my fencing and, and uh, make permanent paddocks for the pigs. This is all theoretical, right? I'm just trying to lay out an example for you. But then I'll, I'll have a lot less work because the infrastructure will be set and the food will be falling in and all I have to do is harvest. And so you have to design over time. Um, if, if things aren't getting easier all the time, uh, then that's feedback. And this is another uh, permaculture principle, uh, self-regulate and apply feedback. If, you, if you're doing drudgerous work, and you're constantly having to exert yourself, then maybe that system isn't as efficient or isn't the right thing to be doing. And so we have to be sort of malleable and continuously open to new ways of interacting with what we've got going on. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, the, I guess the second thing I wanted to get, you know, the, um, I, I, I don't know how, how much of this is a concern about, you know, homesteading, but it's like, it's, I know you, you, you're doing the Airbnb thing on the side, right? Um, I heard you mention on a couple of podcasts and I wondered how, if you had any concerns about like, you know, and this is, this is how adversarial I, I am and probably I'm, a, you know, I'm a bit abnormal in this sense, but my initial thought about like strangers coming to your, where you're living, right? Like for me, that would be a big, big concern, like, cause you're opening yourself up to a potential attack vector of a, like a $5 range or something, right? Or, um, it's probably ridiculous. And you, you live in a, a relatively free country where you probably, well, at least you have the right to bear arms. So that probably mitigates the threat to some extent, but like, do you, do you, do, have you had any thoughts about that? And like, is that, is that a concern of yours or just not at all? It is a concern and, and Airbnb is actually the main thing that we're doing right now. And this goes back to that that idea of succession. We started with the Airbnb to bootstrap everything. And now we're actually transitioning out of Airbnb into more of an educational model. And, um, as far as like, I, I do have that concern, right? Like I've been having more people who are involved with Bitcoin come to the homestead. And so these people know that I probably have some Bitcoin too. Yep. And maybe they want to, I've, I've had thoughts that maybe they would like to get access to some of that Bitcoin. Well, the, the, the benefit I think of, first of all, I think that most people are good. And second of all, I think that if they have Bitcoin to begin with in order to pay for their stay or to buy my stuff, that means that they're probably not looking to like exploit me for more. And that the benefit that I can get from cooperating and collaborating with these other Bitcoiners far outweighs the risk in that there will be this one or 2% uh, malicious person coming mm. from, from renting my place on Airbnb. That's what I've noticed is that there's maybe, and it's literally like, it is literally like one or 2% of the guests are poor guests to where they might damage something, okay. uh, have a party, w whatever it might be, have something, some, 
some issue that I have to like deal with and I'm kind of pissed off about. Hmm. One to two percent, huh? Mm. Yeah, very, very small. Mm. And and that's because of the accountability of all the checks and balances I think that Airbnb uh, puts up. And I think that this is true in the Bitcoin community as well, that it's it's really actually a very small culture. Um, people that are so involved in Bitcoin to, to run a node, go to a Bitcoin meetup, meet me in person, all these things in order for them to come stay at my place there's a reputation to be upheld there um, very quickly. If they do something uh, to tarnish the reputation, that information will spread amongst the community quickly, in my opinion. And so I think that in the same way that the review system in Airbnb keeps people honest, I think the reputation of the smallness of the Bitcoin community as it stands today also affords me some safety. And I think in this, I, I'm going to do an aside here on, on Bitcoin meetups. I do not like the idea of these like mega hundred, multi hundred right. people Bitcoin meetups. I think that the Bitcoin meetup should be in the range of like 50 people or less. So, so everybody can know each other and, and participate together. And if you get to bigger than that, it should split into another meetup somewhere else in town. Um, because... Mm. Once you start to get to these larger uh, size, bigger meetups to where not everyone can know each other, this is where people can start coming in and exploiting that uh, trust of the of that community. Um, um, yeah, well, well, on that point, I mean, that, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's like um, you you have my list of, of questions because I, I wanted to get into Bitcoin meetups um, as the next topic, so um it, it's it that's perfect that's a perfect um segue so i and i'd i'd heard you mention on an, another show that you i think you you're pretty enthusiastic when it comes to meetups um i think you'd mentioned that you like you drive two hours to join meetups and you join them regularly um so one one of our big focuses out here in japan with the you know tokyo citadel group is to do regular meetups we do meetups roughly once every two weeks um and it seems like you know, coming out of COVID, especially people, I remember, cause I remember in the early days of COVID when, um, there was this, there was this idea that, Oh, um, you know, this, this, this could, this kind of virtual thing can kind of work. And I remember Michael Saylor talking about the power of zoom and how you can just transport yourself around the globe instantaneously. And it was like, yeah, you know, that was cool. And it still is cool to be able to do that. Like, like we're doing this recording now. Right. But I think, something that was missed in the early days and like is certainly missed by Mark Zuckerberg who invested like whatever it was lost 20 billion on this silly metaverse project of his was that you know that was never going to be uh, people's 100% you know 100% how they would spend their time and actually what what the pandemic taught us more than anything was that we really want to you know physical spaces are important like face to face interaction is important is is well really it's just critical right it's just it's just uh, as a human it's just it, you know we just need it more than maybe anything else right aside from maybe food and food and water so you know i feel like there's been a a, a realization of that and then a resurgence of the of the of the bitcoin meetup scene of, of which our group is part um of that in the last like year to 18 months something like that um and I'd, I'd just be interested to get your thoughts, like because it seems it seems you're also very enthusiastic about Bitcoin meetups. But do you do you agree that these are, you know, re really critical in terms of 
um, you know, for, for, as human beings, we need that. And also, like, what what kind of good things do you see coming out of out of the meetup? So why 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 are you personally so enthusiastic that you you take a two hour drive to to join to join the meetups? Any any thoughts you could share on that would be most appreciated. Well, I'll say this: when you make when you buy something, or when you're buying stuff, what how what percentage of that is at a store where you physically go there versus buying something and ordering it, having it shipped to your house. Is it more that you have a thing shipped to your house or is it more that you go somewhere and interact with somebody in person? You know, I, I it's, it's still majority in person. I wish it was a hundred percent in person. I try not to use Amazon, but you know, for, for, for niche items, right. Where, where it would be a pain to go out and find them, you know, Amazon sort of works, but yeah, I, I think, um, in person is always you go to the grocery store for food. You yes. go, you, you buy clothes. This is my point, is that the circular economy is going to start by people meeting together in person because this is how we spend our money right now. We don't spend our money uh, the majority of the time through the internet, through the computer, through the phone. We like to go out and shop. And so for me, I the, it dawned on me when I realized that there was a Bitcoin meetup in my small, like I live in a pretty rural area. And I heard on the rabbit hole recap podcast that there was a Bitcoin meetup in Benton Harbor, Michigan. I'm like, Oh my God, that's right down the road from me. I have to go to this and check it out. And I went to one meetup and then I immediately realized like, Oh my God, these people have Bitcoin. Um, and they, and I've got something that they might want to buy with it. And I saw the next meetup, I brought maple syrup and I sold all the maple syrup that I brought to everyone at the meetup. And I realized like, this is something clicked. It was like, everybody should be taking the stuff that they have, the stuff that they can make uh, and bringing it to the meetups and just offering it there for the other people in their community to gain access to. And, and this does this, and this isn't limited to like, because I, I have a particularly, um, easy way, right? Cause I'm growing thing. I'm growing lamb. I've got food that everybody needs food. Right. And, and I've got treats like maple syrup. Everybody wants that, uh, sweet treat of a maple maple syrup. But what I've realized over time too, is that everybody has information as well. And at the meetups, you can bring the knowledge that you have and do a presentation on something. And then people can zap you or send you sats, uh, if they got some value out of that, uh, we do a Bitcoin 101, um, and actually, it's this this month is a Bitcoin 101 uh, meetup in Grand Rapids where it's just Bitcoin basics. Uh, and so the la- one that I remember was somebody just did a presentation on how to use Blue Wallet, how to write down the seed phrase, how to you know just the mm. very most basic things about Blue Wallet. And I thought that was really valuable for the people in the the group. So I sent that person some Bitcoin for that. Hmm. And so the idea is that we get together, we bring the stuff that we've got, and we exchange it for Bitcoin at these meetups. And once again, they should be small, 50 people or less, and many of them, as many as we can get going as possible. And so what that then turns into is now that we have a group of people that are, are meeting regularly and we know kind of what people want and need, 
Now somebody who has access to something that everybody wants and needs can source that and bring it to the meetup. And this is an example in our local meetup in Benton Harbor. It's the Southwest Michigan meetup is what we call ourselves. Um, and so at Southwest Michigan meetup, one person has access to a creamery. We all want what that creamery has to produce. And so they're close to it. And so they, I literally got a tel telegram message today saying, Hey, what's, what do you want? You know, uh, do you want yogurt, butter, cheese? What's going on? And I put in my order. And so on Thursday, a couple, a couple days from now, I'm going to go to the meetup and I'm going to get my order of yogurt, cheese, mm. and butter from this creamery. And so this person didn't actually even produce the goods. They just had access to them and brought them to the meetup and I'm going to pay them sats for that. Mm. And so this is a way of creating this Bitcoin circular economy, in my opinion. I think you're absolutely right. And it's it's one of the directions that um, I'm personally thinking it was. So I, I actually spun up a website out here. Um, it's uh, tokyocalf21.com, but it's it's just, it's just basically I just sell. One of the guys here in our group roasts coffee beans, so I have his beans up for sale on, on the site, things like that. And also um, what, what we plan for, we, so we plan this um, – we're doing this concept called Honey Badger, Honey Badger Hidobat uh, Meetup, which is where we have a talk um, on like some cultural topic. And then um, I'm also planning to do like some kind of, I, I don't know, like a food, a food stand. I'm just going to like arrange food and just, and just offer it in sats. But I just think like, yeah, I completely agree with you that getting the circular economy going is, has to be an imperative because for me as well, um, Bitcoin's kind of useless unless we have a functional circular economy. Because you, I wouldn't say well, maybe useless is a strong strong term, but I have a concern that you know it's it's fairly easy for the government to shut to shut off control, make difficult the use of on ramps and off ramps, and so if you're kind of relying on the fiat rails to uh, use your Bitcoin in the future, um, you know you may struggle to do that. Whereas if we have vibrant communities of you know and and people like yourself, who's, you know, providing food and maple syrup, things that people absolutely need. And probably, to be honest, to be frank, a, a, a dance site better than you can get in the store, um, you know, or, you know, organic and, and, and probably a lot better for you. Um, and you, and you can buy those in sats, then you, you're not, you're not reliant. Like, like the government could shut down Coinbase tomorrow and who cares, right? Um, we, we, we just go on as normal. So, you know, I feel like in terms of the resilience of the Bitcoin network and the value of the Bitcoin network and et cetera, et cetera, like a functioning circular economy is, is, a, is, a, is a critical piece. And without it, I, I don't see this movement succeeding or at least, you know, uh, to the, to the, um, you know, um, to, to the, to the, to the full extent that it, that it is capable of. So I, yeah, I guess to that point. I'm not too, I used to be concerned about um, getting as many people involved in Bitcoin as possible, um, uh, orange pilling, so to speak. And now my main concern is finding the Bitcoiners that are out there and connecting us together. Because once again, you're right. If you have Bitcoin, but you don't know anyone that will accept it as payment for stuff that you need, what is it worth to you when the shit hits the fan? You need to be involved in spending your Bitcoin and uh, earning Bitcoin as well uh, in order for it to have its maximal utility. Um, and I just think that 
I, I guess it's not necessarily about the circular economy has to happen in order for Bitcoin to succeed. Like all I'm concerned about is like literally finding people that have Bitcoin that I can to protect myself and those people too. The, do you see what I'm saying? Like it's mm-hmm. it's really just about connecting with the people in your local area. So that way, when shit hits the fan, you've got some people that are part of this. I, I like to call it an exclusive club, right? You have to have Bitcoin in order to be part of the club. And mm-hmm. so we're part of the club. And so be, by being part of the club, we kind of agree to some of there's cultural capital here that mm-hmm. we can all sort of stand behind and trust each other that when shit hits the fan, we're going to work together to make sure that we're all right. Mm-hmm. I get what you mean about ex- exclusive club. I think a lot of Bitcoiners would probably have a bit of pushback just emotionally to that term because I, I feel like we're more comfortable with the framing as plebs, um, which is kind of um, the opposite meaning, I guess, of exclusive in a sense. But I, but I, but I know what you mean. It, I mean, it is by definition exclusive. That that is that is a fact. But it's a small <laughs> community where you. Yeah. The only way yeah. you're participating in this community is if you have Bitcoin and you know how to use it. And so, and like, once again, instead of trying to say, hey, come join my exclusive club, here's all the rules and here's all how you do it. Uh, and then people don't get it or they don't really care. I want people that are kind of like, hey, I've got this Bitcoin. How do I gain more? Like, like, oh, you have Bitcoin and you're not going to the meetup? Like, dude, come to the meetup, check it out. And when they come to the meetup and they realize like, holy shit, I can spend my Bitcoin here. And like, uh, this is... There's a guy, um, he, he came, so th- just as an anecdotal example, there was uh, a group of three guys that came to a meet uh, to the Southwest meetup one time. And so they were looking, they came to the Southwest meetup doing research to see if they should start a meetup in a nearby area. And so they came, we hung out, we did our normal meetup, meetup, meetup thing. And at the end of the meetup, we do like the wheeling and dealing, you know, uh, selling and trading for uh, the stuff for Bitcoin. And they were shocked that we were spending our Bitcoin. Like, you spend Bitcoin? And I think that it just kind of opened their eyes that, yes, this is how you, this is what Bitcoin's for, you know? It's it's mm-hmm. money. It's it's for trading and um, utilize. It, it creates utility. And uh, so that was one example of, these people who came to a meetup, they were exposed to what happens, what the 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 actual exchange nature that can happen peer to peer with Bitcoin, and it changed their perspective entirely. And that is what I'm looking to do is is provide these examples for people to totally change their outlook. These people were th- these guys were like hardcore Bitcoin maximalists, you know, but they'd never spent Sats on anything. And so by witnessing that, it opened up a whole new world of understanding of Bitcoin for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I it's funny, isn't it? Because even within our group, you get you 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 do get people kind of loath to part with their sats and it's it's kind of I don't know, I know everyone has a different economic situation, et cetera, but it's almost as if the whole concept of kind of spend and replace isn't sinking in with people. Because for me it's like, okay, yeah, of course I'm going to use Sats, and then and then if and if I have some extra fiat on hand at the end of the month, I'll just buy some more, you know, when I DCA. So net net, it's like I'm not, it's not like I'm you know losing my Sats, right? It's, but 
but it's it's useful to be able to to use them because I can get access to these kind of quality goods and services like you say with your maple syrup like if if yeah if I was if I was in your area I would 100% buy your maple syrup because I am I'm 100% sure that it would be better than anything I could buy in the store and the only way I can get your maple syrup is if I give you sats so you know it's it, and then again I I can just I can just take my dirty fiat at the end of the month and get some more sats if I need right so it's I feel like as Bitcoin is we, it, it would be useful for us to move to that mental model but it seems that some people have a still have a resistance to it or you know, it's it's a, it's a mental leap for some people. Well, I've got a saying to that, <laughs> and <laughs> some you might some people might get pissed off about this too. But uh, and like you said, everyone's got a different financial situ- situation. But uh, what I say is that if you if you're not forced to spend your Bitcoin, then you don't have enough. Mm. And, and it worked right. <laughs> so you should have so much Bitcoin that you have to do something with it because you need to spend money. Um, mm. if Bitcoin is money, then big, and, and you're a Bitcoin maximalist, right? Bitcoin should be your money. So you should have so much Bitcoin that in order to survive, you need to spend your Bitcoin. Um, that could be, uh, that could get people into trouble. So don't ever, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. People got to be careful, uh, with you choose that path wisely, mm. but that's the situation that I put myself in. Right, is that in order to get by, I need to spend Bitcoin, um, yeah. and as soon as I get that dirty fiat, I'm getting it turned into Bitcoin as fast as possible. Yeah, yeah, no, we're in alignment on that. Um, well, listen, we, we're coming up um, past the hour here, and I want to be respectful of your time, Rev. But I, I did have a, another couple of questions, if you don't mind, um, just to, just to finish off with, and, and one was um, something again. I think we're in alignment with or something that resonated with me was i heard that you know on a couple of shows that you shared that you would you were doing you were using s9s um miners to um kind of heat um parts of your infrastructure there but also you were doing things like you were drying out i think it was tea that you were making and you were using the heat to dry out the the tea and um and and so i just wonder how that was going for you are you still are you still deploying more and more s9s and finding sort of <laughs> ways to to use that heat and 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 generate sats in the process how's that going for you yes i i'm definitely i so the s9 is the gateway drug to bitcoin mining first of all mm-hmm. and if anyone's interested in learning about bitcoin mining Getting an S9 is a great way to do it. You probably don't need more than one, honestly. Get one, learn how to how to connect to the pool, learn how to dial in the the wattage for the particular application, whether it's heat that you need or the sound. And um, then after that, you can start getting into the harder stuff. You know, the full the full uh, the full size ASICs on on the 240 volt or whatever it might be. But so I've sort of graduated from the S9 now into some other machines. And so that I've made a Bitcoin mining clothes dryer that uses, I had to put in a a special circuit or put in a new circuit uh, to run that. But as far as there's a lot of cool, like, I guess, the way I think about Bitcoin mining is it's like that is sats flow forever. Like once you have that machine and you take care of it, if you can find a way to give it a job and utilize the heat, 
now you can turn you can turn electricity into sats as long as that machine is operational and even if the difficulty is going up uh if you're as bullish as i am on bitcoin then you can see that the value of spending the electricity that you would normally be spending but getting some sats as a rebate is incredibly valuable uh, and so that's my perspective on it is like if you get a bitcoin miner and you have expensive power rate that is unprofitable to mine, you have to think about how to use that miner to get to work and use the heat, whether it's a space heater for your bedroom at night in the winter, uh, whether it's dehydrating produce, like I, I have a Bitcoin mining dehydrator, whether it's uh, drying your clothes, there's probably something that you're using in, in your living situation that uses electric heat and can you replace that electric heat with some sort of ASIC chip to mine Bitcoin? A hundred percent in alignment with that. So I I have not graduated from the S9s yet. I, I co-sign your um, uh, idea that that's a great way to, that's the gateway drug. It's a great way to start. It's very easy. So you can get an S9 for a couple of hundred bucks, uh, maybe cheaper now. Um, and it's, it's a hundred volts, so you don't need any special, uh, power. You can standard North American power, or, or we have the same power in Japan, um, will work. Um, and then you, you should, all, all you need to do really is you need, just need to work out how to get brains OS on there. I would say it's just like a, it's a custom firmware. It's not that hard to do. You can, you can go through, you can find things on YouTube or online to find, tell you how to do it. And then you just underclock the, the device, um, which just means you use you don't use the full amount of power um, that, that the device is capable of. But the the and the the other thing that I've done this year is I've added some like they're like PC fans. Um, so you know, so, so you could not use them if if you were using the machines at full power, they wouldn't be enough. Um, they wouldn't cool it uh, to a sufficient extent. But if you're underclocking, you can use these ultra quiet PC fans. And actually, the sound from the thing is really not that bad. It's the similar to an air conditioner, which in, in Japan we use kind of air conditioners to heat, heat our homes anyway. So I've got a couple of S9s around my house, which I just well, I just turn them on when it's cold, right? And then, and then I heat heat my house, and I have to use that power anyway. And then when and as soon as it gets and as soon as it's warm enough or, or it heats up outside, I just I just literally take the power out, and the things turn off instantly, and you know, I'm 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 getting a, a flow of sats out of that. So anybody who needs to heat their home, or as you say, there's there's things like dry, you know dry your clothes. I mean, that's obviously a, you know what I'm talking about is probably basic. What you're talking about in terms of modifying dryers is a little bit more difficult. But any anybody out there who who's who's heating their home should think about getting a couple S9s and 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 doing that because. You just for me, it's a no-brainer because I mean, you learn so much while you're doing it. There's the and there's the whole aspect of also getting your Sats in a in a very self-sovereign way, right? So I mean, they're 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 KYC free. It's incredibly self-sovereign. I mean, I don't know if you've had this experience, Rev, when you're when you send a Bitcoin transaction and you're looking at it in mempool, and then it gets confirmed by the pool that you're mining with, and you're like, "Wow, I just, <laughs> I just confirmed my own transaction." So it's like, it's like it's the ultimate self-sovereign way for me to use Bitcoin. And I think any anyone who's listening to this who's a, who's a Bitcoiner who hasn't done it yet, you should definitely definitely think about it um, because it's um, it's a very rewarding, fulfilling thing to do. What style of pool do you use, if you don't mind me asking? 
Um, well, I'm using sl- is, is it slush? I think they changed it to brains pool, right? So I'm just using. So I I have my S9 Flash with the brains OS firmware, and then I use their pool, the slush pool, to to mine. So you you're kind of you only get paid when they hit a block, basically, um, and, and you're mining at the same time. Yeah, I think so. I haven't, to be honest, I haven't looked into all those details. Um, I was like last year, I was mining twenty four seven, so. I just, um, and I, you know, sure. I, yeah, but this, this year I'm only going to do it when it's cold. So I might need to look into that. Why do you, do it, so there are, there are better options out there are there in terms of payouts or. Well, yeah. The reason why I ask is if you're not on 24 seven, mm. then different pools, there's different pool structures that mm. are beneficial in different situations. And if you're, right. if your hash is intermittent, like mine, where I'm turning my machines on and off. Basically, when the work, when I need work done, my machine's running. But when the work is done, I'm mm. turning my machine off. And so in that situation, I found that by using a full pay per share pool, FPPS pool. F-P-F, uh, full pay for share, FPFS? FPPS, full oh, F-P-P-S. pay per share pool. Oh, full pay per share pool, okay. That, so that basically takes the hash that I'm contributing for that time duration and pays me proportionally for that contribution, whether the, mm. the block gets hit or not mm. at the time that the machine is running. And so you might not get paid necessarily as much Bitcoin, but you're going to guarantee yourself some sats. And otherwise I might turn my machine on mine for that whole time the the one or two hours or five hours that it's on but no block gets hit by my pool and turn it off and i get no bitcoin for that mm. and so that that's just a uh, another consideration if you're going to be mining for work is you need to be considering about the structure the payout structure of your pool and choose one that benefits you the most um but yeah, the, the the home mining stuff, I think with, so I have an S19 now that I'm going to take it apart, take each hash board and turn it into um, three different mini S19s uh, with this Loki board, this um, control board. Uh, I, I don't know. It's, a, it's a, a, an add-on to the control board that allows you to run one hash board uh, on... 110 volt power so you can break a a a big miner up into smaller miners and then you can plug them in all around your house or you can run them on your solar power system or whatever it might be and Mm. so i'm very excited to get started playing with that i've had this thing sitting here for a few months just not hashing uh just waiting for me to to dig in there and play with that but that it would be amazing if you if you would document are you are you planning to document that like put a mm -hmm. blog blog or a youtube or something because i i would definitely interested in that yeah wow yeah this is all going to be on noster i mean if anyone's listening and they want to see what i'm doing it's always on noster twitter i might post something and basically link back to noster i don't do youtube i think once again like noster is a place for bitcoiners uh the same with like layer twos we didn't talk about this at all, but uh, layer twos, in my opinion, are like not utilities for uh, increasing adoption. They're they're utilities for increasing the once again the utility of the Bitcoin that people already have. And mm. so Noster, I think, is the same thing where it, 
it's not necessarily, we don't have to worry about getting more people to come to Noster. All we have to do is just worry about interacting with each other there because we are Bitcoiners and we're on Noster and this is a place to communicate. So mm -hmm. anyways, I'm not going to be posting my stuff on YouTube. I'm not going to be posting my stuff on Twitter. I'm going to be posting it on Noster where I want uh, this information to propagate amongst other Bitcoiners. Good. Well, I, I'm, I follow you on Nostar. So I, I sometimes I have an issue with Nostar because I with the time difference, like I'll typically check it in the first thing in Japan morning, which is the US evening. And then so maybe I don't catch everything all the time. But anyway, I will I will definitely be looking out for that because that's that's the kind of content I'm, um, you know, very, very interested in. Okay, there's, well, And there are solutions to that problem right around the corner. I, I, yes. I think that the clients are going to get they're going to smooth out. There'll be ways to choose your algorithm to make lists of people who to follow. And, and, and cause I've had the same issue where it's like, I, I once again, like every once in a while I'll go digging deep and then I'll be like, wow, I can't believe I missed this amazing thing. I wish somebody would have, uh, boosted that, I guess. And that's another point about Noster is like right now it's very important. If you're interacting with Noster, don't worry about zapping so much. If you see content, that's good. Boost it. Hmm. boost it so that other people so it repropagates it into people's feeds and and spreads it out uh this is how the this is how you won't miss anything is if if it i don't care if i have to scroll past a post 20 times because everyone's boosted it that makes me happy because i know that this is important information that that's being repropagated hmm. Uh, if that makes any sense no it makes a lot of sense yeah i mean yeah it's a shame we couldn't have got more into nostr um i do i'm i'm, I'm a big fan of nostr myself I, I am a nostr maxi um not not on x um um i i only i only i'm only you know as, as a con as a quote-unquote quant content creator i mean it's just podcasts and nostr for me now so anyway um so look i well i want to be respectful of your time here Revan. i, I wanted to wrap us up because um you, you had um on, on one question that I think you mentioned that you would listen to our podcast um, and we, we, you know, we, we'd only started it or you'd listen to a few episodes. I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying you're, you're a diehard listener or anything, but um, we had started, we've started, I think it was about a year ago that we started it. So, um, and we're, we're always iterating and, uh, uh, and looking, looking, you know, interested in, in feedback, but I wondered if you had any, any, any feedback for us live on air here, maybe you're going to, you're going to, you're going to tear the show apart and, you know, I'm, I'm going to leave, I'm going to end this show in tears. But um, any any <laughs> any feedback that you can share with us, or any advice? Well, I actually I think that I was pleasantly surprised when I I started listening. I listened. To, well, you you might be shocked. I listened to all the podcasts at two x speed. So, right. I probably listened to maybe half of all the recordings that you've done at this point. Thank I you. started. I worked my way backwards, and then I started at the, at the beginning. Um, and I actually really, I've, I've been missing. So when you guys all get together and do the round table, mm. um, the, the, the very first one is like, what is a Bitcoin Citadel? I love that. Mm. Uh, I, I love thinking about just, it, it doesn't even matter if you guys know what you're talking about, in my opinion, like mm. the, the, having your opinions about it gets me thinking about stuff. So the round table, the format is excellent. Um, I really love the color revolution uh, hmm. discussions, and then I've been into the the most recent. Well, the other I can't remember what what you've been calling it, but I've been working my way up from the beginning, where there was more roundtable stuff at the beginning and less interviews. Um, yeah. Anyways, th that I thought was excellent. I think that I really like your style, 
as far as interviewing because it's you really do seem to do a lot of research and come prepared to um, kind of suss out the way that this person, whoever you're talking to, can contribute to this concept of citadel building. Um, there was, a, I forget, uh, some Marshall, uh, yes. Bitcoin miner guy. I Great listened guess, to that yeah. one and he was awesome, dude. And you like, oh, so really, mm. yeah, you, you got him to like talk about, he, he was just like, oh, yeah. it, it was shocking to me how you sussed out uh, the stories from him. And anyway, so I think that you guys are doing a great job. I'm going to be listening uh, moving forward. I can't wait to hear what else you uh, what else you come up with. But yeah, it's been, it. it's been a pleasure uh, talking with you, and um, I hope to. We'll, hopefully, we can catch up again in Absolutely. a year or so or whatever, and and see what what's new. Absolutely. Well, and, and hopefully, I can get out and, and visit you on you know on the on the homestead, or or we can you know I finally get get my hands on some maple syrup at at a meetup in the states or something. But um, you know, I I, t- I usually. I'm in the States um, once, once or twice a year. So we'll definitely let you know if, um, if I plan to be over. Um, hey, yeah, yeah, Southwest Michigan, we're trying to make it. Uh, I think a lot of people have this idea uh, to make it the, a Bitcoin vacation destination. I think the guy, the, the Tampa Bay guys were talking about that too, right? Yes, uh, they, correct. They want, yeah, that, they want yes. uh, Bitcoin, Bitcoiners to come and feel comfortable taking a vacation and paying a Bitcoin. Well, Southwest Michigan, we've got sandy beaches. We've got uh, a beautiful place to come hang out. You're welcome anytime. I've got a 20-foot yurt, a uh, 20-foot tiny house about to be finished, and uh, the the house as well. And uh, I'd love to, to host you and show you the homestead, teach you a little bit about permaculture. You're welcome anytime. Perfect. Thanks, Rev. Well, listen, um, if you, if you want to maybe um, uh, leave us with your final thoughts and um, where the plebs should reach out to you or follow you, um, if you can if you can share that with uh, the information with the listeners, that would be most appreciated. So the biggest thing is that if you want to be practicing permaculture, you got to be in a mindset of saving. And I think most Bitcoiners in that mindset. The, the goal here is to build capital for future generations. If we build enough capital for future generations, then we'll be resilient to whatever bullshit might happen. And the other thing is that whatever idea or thing that people might be passionate about, whatever you're passionate about, there are discoveries to be made there. Don't think that everything's been figured out. Um, use your voice. Use your particular scope, your aptitude and make a contribution and co- contribute that contribution through protocols like Noster and uh, Bitcoin meetups. Participate in this and sharing this information. Together, we can build something that's resilient to the end of the fiat system, uh, to whatever environmental catastrophe might be happening from climate change. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And and just uh, stick together. Focus on on unifying all the Bitcoiners that are out there. You can find me on Noster. I'm Rev Hoddle on Noster. Um, if you find if you search the hashtag Meshtadel on there, you'll pretty much see all of my content. You'll you'll be able to find me through the hashtag Meshtadel. I don't think anyone else is posting to that hashtag. That's kind of the one that I've been sticking with. Um, and yeah, Dash, I appreciate it, man. 
Excellent. We'll put the uh, your mpub in the show notes as well, so people the plebs can find you there. Um, Reb, thanks thanks so much for your time today. Cool. I look forward to uh, hearing what you guys put out next. Thank you. If you're a regular listener to the podcast, you can support the show and help us grow by listening on Fountain, a podcast app on iOS or Android. You can share your thoughts on this episode or simply say thanks by sending some sets with a comment called a boost. Getting started is easy. You can top up your Fountain wallet with a bank card or any Lightning wallet. You can earn sets by listening on Fountain and being an active member of the community. Visit fountain.fm to learn more. Yo, I'm looking at the skyline as I drive my skyline. I'm rocking baby name like Neo in a way. Tokyo drifting, what Nakimoto gifted. These dollars don't make sense, no longer on the fence. Bitcoin only homie, Michael Saylor told me, ain't no second best. It's my one and only fear taking L's. Bitcoin doing well. I'm in Tokyo at the Citadel. Wipe like red dot GTI DCA to BTC Stacking sats is my nature Konnichiwa Wipe like red dot GTI DCA to BTC Stacking sats is my nature TikTok, next block This is a major epoch My C phrase, I keep locked Don't worry about what we got What he got, what she got If it's Bitcoin, we good bruh If it's Bitcoin, we good bruh If it's Bitcoin, we good bruh Like, hey, I got a thousand flows Hey Done a hundred shows hey. Check the proof of work yep. Yeah, man, it really shows hey. Citadel living V for V We keep on giving out You know what we're all about We orange, purple, kitted out Increasing Bitcoin adoption So many plebs have adopted TikTok, next block You know we ain't gonna stop it Increasing Bitcoin adoption So many plebs have adopted TikTok, next block You know we ain't gonna stop it Woo.